One investigational treatment being explored for COVID-19 is the use of convalescent plasma, or CCP, collected from individuals who have recovered from COVID-19. CCP that contains antibodies to severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, or SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is being studied for administration to patients with COVID-19. Use of CCP has been studied in outbreaks of other respiratory infections, including the 2003 SARS-CoV-1 epidemic, the 2009 to 2010 H1N1 influenza virus pandemic, and the 2012 MERS-CoV epidemic. Although promising, CCP has not yet been shown to be safe and effective as a treatment for COVID-19, explains Dr. Glenn Ramsey, medical director of the Blood Bank at Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago and chair of the CAP Transfusion Apheresis and Cellular Therapy Committee. In this CAPCAST, Dr. Ramsey provides a basic primer on CCP, as well as explaining why it's important to study the safety and efficacy of COVID-19 CCP in clinical trials, as well as the blood bank's role in providing CCP. Dr. Ramsey, what is COVID-19 convalescent plasma, or CCP? Uh, COVID-19 convalescent plasma is uh, regular plasma, but it's collected from patients who have recovered from COVID-19. The concept is that plasma-containing antibodies to the virus can then be transfused as a regular plasma transfusion to patients who have COVID-19, or in some cases, in some of the trials, patients who may be at risk for COVID-19, to provide them with antibodies that either would protect them or would treat the virus causing COVID-19. It's plasma that's collected usually by uh, apheresis. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. And it's given as ABO identical or ABO compatible plasma, just as a regular transfusion. Now, what is the evidence that led to trying CCP for COVID-19? Well, there's a lot of evidence going back over actually 100 years, going back to the 1918 uh, influenza pandemic, which uh, sometimes referred to as the Spanish flu, uh, where it's a little surprising, but there was plasma transfusions being given to some of those patients back in the teens and 20s uh, 100 years ago. And people have gone back and looked at the uh, literature and seen that there was some benefit apparently in giving plasma even in those early days. So since then, plasma from patients getting over various viral infections has been given as a source of antibody in various other viral infections, including flu, influenza pandemic from 10 years ago or so, including the Ebola virus, where there were some patients that were given plasma from recovered Ebola virus patients. Then also, perhaps more relevant to our current discussion, the other coronaviruses SARS, the original SARS from uh, the mid-2000s, uh, where plasma was given in a fairly extensive studies, as well as the uh, MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, coronavirus epidemic almost 10 years ago. Particularly in the SARS epidemic in uh, Hong Kong, there was fairly good evidence that patients receiving this kind of plasma did have a better course from their disease. And so, although it didn't seem to work as well with the influenza virus and also limited effect in the MERS patients who received it, but there was enough promising data and enough reason for this to be potentially effective that it's now being geared up as a national compassionate use program. And we'll get into a little bit more about the different access routes. But 
certainly promising in terms of uh, a potential therapy. Of course, in our current situation, in the absence of a vaccine for people to develop their own antibodies, in the absence of other more concentrated sources of antibodies, such as hyperimmune globulin, this is being done perhaps somewhat as an interim measure until the other immune therapies and potentially a vaccine comes along later on. How can physicians request or access CCP? There are three uh, pathways in the U.S. for obtaining CCP. The most common route that's being used currently is the National Expanded Access Protocol, which has been set up as a national central if you will, compassionate use uh, protocol for obtaining plasma. And this is for patients 18 years and older with severe or life-threatening COVID-19 and their specific criteria that can be referenced for uh, which patients qualify. And so over 2,000 hospitals in the U.S. now have signed up to participate in this expanded access protocol and under a central data monitoring system and a central investigational new drug protocol and a central IRB approval, which is headquartered at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. So at this time, uh, over 12,000 units have been given through this program. First, the hospital is enrolled in the protocol as a site, and then physicians, either individual physicians or in some cases, uh, designated physicians for the institution are, you know, sign up to be enrolled in the program, and then they can enroll individual patients in the protocol by internet enrollment. They enroll a patient in the central protocol and then also notify their hospital uh, transfusion service that the patient has been registered, and then the transfusion service then sends a message to their local blood supplier to request plasma for the patient. So that's one way. There are two other ways that plasma like this is being obtained. One is the traditional emergency investigational new drug protocol on a you know, patient-by-patient basis, similar to what might be done for an investigational drug, uh, which has not been approved yet, but on a compassionate use basis, uh, the, the maker of the drug makes it available under an FDA-approved single exception, so to speak, for a patient. And so that can be done for patients that are under 18 years of old that don't qualify for the National Candid Access Protocol and potentially other patients as well who may not qualify medically. That's a little bit more involved process, but there's a, a form that has to be submitted to the FDA and the patient has to be approved by the local institutional review board or IRB at, at the hospital. And then the order can be then submitted to the patient, the hospital's blood supplier, just like other orders. The third mechanism for CCP is uh, probably mostly at academic medical centers under various clinical trials that are getting started to examine the CCP in more uh, detail. And some of these trials are uncontrolled, you know, detailed trials of administering CCP in various situations, as I mentioned, some prophylactically, some for therapeutic purposes. Other clinical trials are developing as control trials where there's a control arm or a randomized control arm in some cases to other therapy or to regular therapy with comparison would be involved. So that would be the more rigorous way to look at the efficacy of the plasma as well as the uh, safety. So there's various ways as detailed here to obtain plasma and physicians can obtain more information from their local blood supplier about the exact mechanism that would be needed for enrolling in these programs. Have there been any transfusion reaction from the plasma? 
The Expanded Access Protocol just published very recently the preliminary data from their first 5,000 patients that had received plasma. And they have a four-hour time point for reporting back any adverse events that may have occurred within the first four hours during or after the plasma was given. And in the preliminary data from these patients, the reaction rate uh, was about one-half a percent. So 25 reactions thought to be related to the plasma that uh, were seen in 5,000 patients. There were a few more than that that were not thought to be related to the transfusion. So the rate is fairly low, less than 1%. The most common problems that have been reported, as one might expect, would include the questions at least about transfusion-related acute lung injury or trolley uh, in these patients who have obviously already have severe acute lung injury and pneumonia. Any deterioration of their condition could raise the question about trolley. And also transfusion-associated circulatory overload or TACO, again, uh, patients who have diffuse lung infiltrates, there may be questions come up about their fluid status after the plasma. So it's not unexpected there would be potential for uh, reporting some adverse reactions. But the Safety Monitoring Board felt that this track record so far was sufficiently safe to continue with the protocol. So this will be carefully monitored. There's a seven-day reporting time point also for patients in the protocol as well as the discharge or 30 days after the transfusion to give some overall outcome information also. That's, so all the expanded access protocol is not a formal clinical trial. There will be a lot of valuable information that will come from it, and both with regard to safety and with regard to efficacy. There is also some discussion about setting up a, even though it's not a controlled trial, to set up a case control study comparing the patients who got the plasma to patients who did not get plasma and hopefully find similar patients to compare their course and their outcomes. So with a lot of this effort underway between the expanded access protocol and the clinical trials are getting started, we hope that within several months over the next year, we'll definitely get more information about the safety and the efficacy of this therapy. And hopefully it will work, but we'll find out in the next few months. How can people who have recovered from COVID-19 donate CCP? There's been a lot of interest in this, given the nature of the problem and the fact that so many patients have had it or other family members have been affected by it. So all the blood centers have set up ways to enroll in the program to submit information to be considered as a donor if you've gotten over COVID-19. So you have to have gotten over it and have either a documented infection, either from the direct PCR type of virus test or more recently, evidence of antibody in the plasma which is being more available now. We get into the testing, I guess, a little bit more. But documentation of the COVID-19 infection, and then the person has to be symptom-free for at least 14 days to donate plasma. Then usually most blood centers now are requiring the patient's physician to also refer them with information on a form, for example, to document their infection. Then once the former patient is identified as a donor, they also have to qualify as a regular blood donors. The same safety requirements are there for these donations as would be for any other plasmization, both for the safety of the donor, safety of the recipient. And of course, the same testing would apply. And although the regular plasma donation interval is normally 28 days under medical exceptions that are being widely granted, the donor is able to, donations are being made more often than that, sometimes down to seven day intervals 
over the course of uh, one to two months. So any individual donor could potentially donate eight to 12 units worth of plasma under this uh, process. So the supply has increased uh, quite a bit since the, even in the past uh, three or four weeks, to the point where over half of the units are now coming to the hospitals within one day of their order. So it's becoming definitely more widely available now for patients, and so the supply has been very encouraging. Finally, Dr. Ramsey, how does the Blood Collection Center test the CCP? Well, besides the regular donor infectious disease testing, which applies, as I mentioned, there are beginning to be efforts to test the plasmas for antibody. In the original FDA guidance, which was revised early in, in May 2020, there was a recommendation to test these donations for antibody levels, antibody titers, to the SARS-CoV virus as a recommendation. Gradually, as the antibody testing has become more available, some centers now instituted antibody testing. I think a lot of this is probably not being done on a real-time basis like other donor testing that we're familiar with, but is being done on stored samples uh, later on to find out what the antibody levels are. So that's one part of it is testing the donor plasma for antibodies and then hopefully eventually going back and see how that corresponds to the outcome in the patient. In China, a very high percentage of their plasma donors have antibody from their reports. In the U.S. experience, that has been somewhat of a lower percentage, perhaps around two-thirds of patients of donors have antibody, but this probably depends on when the donation is collected. As I said, if you start collecting the plasma you know, after 14 days of being symptom-free, uh, that's the time where we would expect the uh, highest levels of antibody to start appearing after two weeks. So, so hopefully most all these units will have antibody, and uh, we'll find out a little bit more as time goes on about uh, the nature of the antibodies in the plasma. Thank you, Dr. Ramsey, for discussing this important issue. For COVID-19 updates from the CAP, please visit cap.org forward slash COVID-19. That's cap.org forward slash COVID-19. Thank you for listening to this CAPcast. Be sure to listen to our other CAPcasts from the CAP on our SoundCloud channel by downloading the SoundCloud app on your mobile device. And we're also on Apple Podcasts and the Stitcher app. To find this podcast, search for the word CAPCAST on these apps. Once you find our podcast, be sure to click the subscribe button so you don't miss new CAPCAST episodes.